last uh, week that I went there and preached down there. Saw people come forward giving their heart to the Lord. People repenting, Christians repenting of their sins. And getting that joy of the Lord returned back into their hearts. Seeing people come forward that had been seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit or had given up seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit come forward, get baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. But it's a humbling thing to be used of the Lord in that way. It's a humbling thing to know that the responsibility you have is to deliver the Word of God in truth. And that's my desire tonight. You know, we've, we've talked a lot, we've prayed a lot, we've preached a lot about revival. And you know, I don't, that's not my main concern. I'm not really concerned about revival coming to this church. What I'm concerned with is that I have a church and that I have a life that is doing what is pleasing to God. A place where God is welcome. A place where God is invited. A place where God is praised. A place where God has given thanks for what He's done. Unfortunately, in the condition that we're in today, we more than likely need a revival to get to that point. But my main focus and my main desire is not that we have a revival, but that we have a heart change, a life change, a church change in which God is once again loved with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. And so that's my desire as we begin in Luke chapter 13. In verse 23, someone asked him, I'm reading in the NIV version, someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow gate, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you, or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you. You taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you came from, Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. And here we see people coming to Jesus and saying, Are there many that will be saved? Are there few that will be saved? And Jesus says to make every effort. In the King James Version it says to strive to enter in. Because Jesus says that there are many that will try to enter, but will not make it. The King James says there are many that will seek to enter but will not make it. And we look out throughout this country and and in all the people's lives of friends and neighbors that we know, we even see it with these groups, these cults, so prominent in the news this last week, this Heaven's Gates. They're seeking to enter something. They call it Heaven's Gates was the name of the cult. Seeking to enter into heaven, but they never made it. And they committed suicide. And many of us in the church have been seeking to enter, trying to enter, but we're not making it. And the Bible says, and Jesus says here, that we need to make every effort. Every effort. Unfortunately, the Americanized, the uh, hybrid Christianity that we have in America does not say make every effort. The American Christianity that we have today says, just say a prayer, go to church from time to time, read your Bible from time to time, pray every once in a while, and don't doubt it, you're going to make it. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, make every effort. We all have in our lives a a part in our heart. Even in the world, we see it. People have a part of their heart set aside for God. 
a place where they revere God, a place where they lift God up in their hearts. But Jesus doesn't want just a place in your heart that you lift Him up. He wants all of your heart, 100%. He said that we need to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. We need to make every effort to enter in because there's going to be many that seek it, many that try and do not make it because they try to do it as part. I'm a baker. I'm a candlestick maker and I'm also a Christian no you need to be a Christian first and foremost in everything in your life everything that you do everything that you say everywhere that you go you are a Christian first and foremost Christ is your life and you can say like Paul says for me to live is Christ and it's going to be a fruitful labor because if God comes out and he looks into our lives and he doesn't see fruit what does the master gardener say he says cut it down and his withering fork is in his hand and he's ready to cut down at the root. And we need to bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. And God's coming in and he's coming in in so many places around this country and even in our church. And he's digging around this tree that hasn't bore fruit. And he's saying, I'll give it one more year. I'll fertilize it. I'll pour my Holy Spirit in. I'll pour the water of my word in. And I'll give it nourishment. And I'll give it one more year. But if it doesn't produce fruit, I'll cut it down. And that's the word that he's giving to us. One more year. One more chance. He's coming in and He's brought His Spirit into this place. The power of His Spirit is here and it's open for us. A river of His Spirit is flowing in this place. If we will but enter in and just plunge into the river, let that fruit be produced in our lives once again. Stop being dead trees. We think that because we have some leaves, we have a little bit of life, a little bit of green, it's okay. God said it's not enough. I want you to produce fruit. And we need to have fruit in the church once again. We need to make every effort to enter in, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To worship God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To pray to God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To read our Bible and do what it says with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not just a little bit, not just something we add to what we're doing in our lives already, but something that consumes our life something that is our life. Jesus Christ, and He is our life. And that's what we need, once again, to make every effort, every effort, every effort. And in the Bible, as I was looking it up, and the definitions for the Greek words that are used there, it gives imagery of a fight, of fighting a battle. And we have a fight on our hands when we become Christians. We need to fight the devil that tries to come in and steal what God has in our lives. I saw people when I was in Texas get baptized with the Holy Spirit and leave that place immediately with a fight on their hands because the devil didn't want them to walk in power. And the devil came and said, you're not worthy. You didn't receive anything. You're fooling yourself. You'll never receive God's Spirit. And we need to be ready to fight the good fight to go forth and run the race and finish it to the very end. And we have a fight on our hands against the devil. And it's time that we go and take back what the devil has stored stole from us. We need to go and take back our joy that we've lost in the church. We need to take back the freedom that we've lost in the church. The worship that we once had in the church where we could truly lift our hands and truly shout and praise God and worship Him with all of our heart, 
soul, mind, and strength. It's time that we get to fighting. We've been wearing gloves too long. We've been dancing. Paul didn't say I danced a good dance. He said I fought a good fight. And we need to get ready to fight the devil and do it. Go out militant. We have God on our side. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That's not just a scripture verse that we quote when hard times are coming. It's not just the magic incantation that we stick on the refrigerator. It's not just words. It's a reality. If Jesus Christ is in our lives, He overcame the devil. He overcame death. He overcame hell. He overcame the grave. And we can go out into the fight and know that we will be victorious, trampling over serpents and scorpions. Nothing shall by any means harm us. And we can rejoice that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And we have that fight. We need to do it. We need to stop sitting back and coming to church to receive. We need to come to church to give. Give to God thanksgiving. Give to God our worship and our praise. Come in the church and to bow down our knees before God and say, God, you are worthy. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You saved me. You set me free. You gave me a new life. But for so long, we've gotten selfishness and pride in the church. We're not making every effort to enter in. We're living in the minimum requirement Christianity. And if we think that coming to church Sunday morning is enough, that's all we do is come to church Sunday morning. If we think coming to church every time the doors are open is enough, we come to church every time the doors are open. But that's not enough. We need to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. And we come into this place, not come out of obligation, not come to receive a blessing to God, but come to give Him the glory and the praise He deserves. Worship Him with all of our strength. If we're 94 years old, we probably won't be leaping. But we can still worship Him with everything that we have. For each of us, it'll be different. Some of us have more strength. Some of us have more vigor. Some of us, our bodies can do more. But we need to make every effort, everything that we have for God, entering into that gate, coming and giving to Him instead of receiving. Everyone here wants to see their family saved. But many of us, the reason we want to see them saved is more of a selfishness in our heart than it is a heart of God. Because we want them to be around the throne when we're up there, and we don't want to feel guilty that we never witnessed to them we never prayed for them. We never made every effort to try to see them come in. We've done just a little bit. We were satisfied with what we had. We had our fire insurance. We knew we weren't going to hell, and that's enough. And we prayed once in a while for them, witnessed weekly to them once in a while, and we want them to get into heaven so that we won't feel guilty about how we weren't filling our role as a witness to them. We weren't living the holy life we should have been living so that they could see the change in our lives. And so many of us and many people throughout Christianity and in the churches, they want to see their friends and family members saved, but it's more out of selfishness and for themselves that they want to see it. And that's why they never reach out to anybody outside of their family. That's why they don't worry about witnessing to the checkout counter girl. That's why they don't worry about witnessing to the street bum on the side of the street. The only people they're really worried about seeing in the heaven is their friends and family so that they won't feel guilty. So that they'll know that at least they did a little something 
for the kingdom of God. And it's not enough. We need to make every effort to enter into the kingdom of God. And we need to make every effort, all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, in everything that we do for God. Everything. The people here in Luke said, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But what was the reply? I never knew you. I don't even know where you came from. Be gone, you workers, you evil doers. It's so easy for us to sit in church and we feel the presence of God. We know God's here where two or three are gathered together. God is going to be in the midst. But what did God say to us not too long ago in a prophecy, tongues and interpretation of tongues? He said, yeah, I'm here. I'm knocking at the door. Are you going to let me in? Are you going to open up? It's not just enough for him to be here. We need to have him in our lives completely. We need to worship him if he's here with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We need to come and receive from him that healing we need to get, that forgiveness of the sins that we need to get, that touch from him, a brokenness in our heart, and say, you are Lord, you are King, and get that pride out of our lives, that self-sufficiency in thinking that we have enough just because we're doing what we think is the minimum requirements. It's not enough. We need to make every effort. He's here. He's knocking at the door. He's ready to open up and come in. He wants to walk with us and comfort us and be our guide, be our peace, be our life, be our Father. But we have to surrender completely to Him. No more religion. No more religion. No more doing it because we think this is what we have to do to make it. I have to be here every time the church doors open, so I'll be here. I have to come and read my Bible every once in a while, so I'll do it. No. Making every effort with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because otherwise on that day, he'll say, yeah. We'll say, we came to church. We read the Bible. We said grace before every meal. He'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. You are only seeking for yourself, and you are not making every effort. The second sermon I have is in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Tying in with this one as we talked about the fight. 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 2. The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. And so here Paul is comparing our walk with Christ as one being a soldier in the army and as we talked about before, we have to be ready for that fight against the devil, that fight against our flesh, that fight against the world. And he says, but a soldier doesn't get caught up in the civilian affairs. And so many Christians in our society today get caught up with all the civilian affairs. Abortion's wrong, it's horrible. And they focus all their effort, all of their time, just on that one thing, which is a horrible thing, and we should do what we can to stop it. But they forget some of the weightier matters of souls being saved, of people that are going to hell and reaching them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
They get more worried about who's going to be elected into the next office than they do about what's happening in their church and in their lives and how sin is starting to creep in because their whole focus is in this world. We don't even belong to this world. Our king we don't have to vote on. We already know who he is. It's Jesus Christ. And he's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. And we know he'll do what's right. We don't have to worry about that. This isn't our world. And so we can't get entangled in the things of the world. Do what's right. But remember where our citizenship is. Remember who we're fighting for. Remember what the important thing is, is pleasing our commander in chief who is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he talks about if you run a race, in another place he talks about if you run a race, only the one person gets the crown, the one that finishes the line first. And he says, run like that. Run like you're trying to be the first one over the line. But for so long in Christianity we said, you don't have to run, you can walk, you can stop along the way and take a break. Oh, I know it's hard, brother, but don't worry, just one day you'll make it there. No, Paul said we need to run the race like we're the one that wants to win. We want to be there first, putting forth every effort, all of our energy, all of our strength in that race, and we have to follow the rules. <clears throat> you see these stories and jokes, you know, where they have someone start a long marathon, and then they'll go and get in a car and drive to the end and wait for everybody to get there, and then they run across the line, and they're the first ones across the line. They didn't win the race because they didn't follow the rules. It doesn't matter if they were first across the line. We need to follow the rules. And for so often, so long in Christianity, we've been cutting the rules down. We've been trying to find loopholes, taking shortcuts, trying to find that fast track to heaven, making God a God of love only and forgetting about His wrath, talking about all of His grace and not talking about His judgment. We need to remember that we have to live a holy life holy and acceptable to Him, and run that race like we want to be the first one across the line, putting forth all of our strength, everything we have, into it. When they run those marathons and they cross that line, they're spent. There's nothing left. They can hardly walk. And that's why we need to run our race, putting everything we have into it, not just coming in and sitting back, listening to the sermon and saying, oh, wasn't that nice? Yes, so... Maybe someday I'll, I'll actually do something about it. No, every effort. When we hear a sermon, study the Bible, see if it's right, if it's what the Word says, and if it is, apply it to our lives. Make every effort to make it apply. When we come to church and the worship service begins, not just sit there to sing our psalms, but put every effort, all the strength we have, all of our heart, all of our mind into the worship. How often have we sat in worship services singing a song that we've sung for so many years and not even looking at the words and having our mind be somewhere else. Our minds at home cooking dinner. Our minds at home writing out the bills. Our minds at home in bed. No, when we come and worship God, we need to worship Him with all of our mind, all of our strength, all of our heart, everything we have. Not just words that we're singing, but truth. Asking God. When we say, Holy Spirit, Thou art welcome have a welcoming spirit in our hearts saying, you are welcome, Holy Spirit. When we talk about, when we sing songs like, melt me, mold me, make me, fill me, use me, have that be our heart. Say, God, yes, come and melt me and expect Him to answer and to do it. We can see healing during our worship time. We can see souls get saved 
during our worship time if we would all but enter in with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. We can see it happen. Later in 2 Timothy, <coughs> chapter 22 says, I mean verse 22, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace among with, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's, Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. And so here Paul is giving some more practical advice. Flee from evil desires. Walk in righteousness. Walk in truth. And we need to come together with those that worship the Lord, that call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. And that's my desire to see in this church. This is the only church I've ever had a membership in. I've never had a membership before, and God led me to have a membership here. But I want to have a membership where the people worship God, and call on the Lord with a pure heart. Not a place where they come in the church and they do one thing and go home and do another. But a place where the things they talk about on Sunday is what they live on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday and on Friday and on Saturday and on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. What they really live. What they really do. Calling on God with a pure heart. And when we say, God, change me, we really yield ourselves and let us change us. When we say, God, use me, we really surrender ourselves to His will and look for the leading of the Holy Spirit and go where He wants us to go. When we come forward and we ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit, then we know that when He fills us, He'll give us power to go and witness. And we'll make a commitment in our heart that, Lord, we will go and share what You have done with us, with others, and bring them in. And that's the kind of church I want to partake in. And that's what Paul said we should do. Those are the kind of people that we should have around us. Those that worship the Lord, call on the Lord out of a pure heart. He says, don't have anything to do with foolish arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And he says that the Lord's servants must not quarrel. Instead, they must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. He said that we need to be able to teach. Why do you think some of us have been in Christianity for years, but we're not teaching. And I'm not talking about a Sunday school class. I'm talking about just teaching younger Christians as they come in. People that just got saved. You know, in our church, it breaks my heart because there's so many older saints here. People that have been serving the Lord for so many years. This should be a strong place. Where when a new Christian comes in, they'll have people that will come and pour their lives into them. Pour their heart into them. Teach them about the struggles they had in their lives. How to overcome the world. How to overcome the flesh. How to overcome the devil. Because they have overcome it. There should be a place where new Christians can come in and grow rapidly. Because of the wisdom. Because of the strength of those of you that have served the Lord for years and years. Be able to teach. Be ready to reach out. Don't just come and receive. Come and give. Give to them. We need it. This world is so corrupt. So backwards. So gone. It talks about not having quarrels. 
We all know that that is not right to have in the church. I don't need to elaborate on that. Verse 25 says, Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. And when we have opposition in the church, people in the church that come up and oppose the pastor, oppose the leadership in the church, come against what God is trying to do in the church, we need to make every effort to gently, by the Holy Spirit, instruct them and try to guide them and try to help them to come into the knowledge of the truth. Because it says here that the devil has taken them captive. And we need to be gentle and lead them to repentance. And then he goes on in chapter 3. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. How many of you know that we're in the last days? We know that? We see wars. We see rumors of wars. We see earthquakes. We see cults taking their own lives. We see so many destructive things. But you know what? Those aren't the sign of the last days. Jesus said these are just the beginning of birth, birth pains. But the end hasn't come. You know what the end is symbolized by? Look in verse 2 of chapter 3. People will be lovers of themselves. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with them. The sign of the last days is what we see in our church, in our lives, and those that are around us. People being lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. And we've gotten this high-bred Christianity that we have in America that says, you can do whatever you want to do. Just come to church once in a while. Send a check to us once in a while. And everything's okay with you. And they're heaping these teachers with itching ears. And they keep teaching them all about themselves, how to build themselves up. But the Bible says we need to die to ourselves. We need to let Jesus Christ be our lives. We can't be living a life that is selfish. But yet how much of Christianity today is selfish? We don't want to go to hell. We don't want to go to heaven and see that we're the only ones there and our friends aren't there. We don't want to miss out on gratifying our flesh through the television or through entertainment or through whatever areas and means we like to gratify our flesh. And so we go and we mix a little bit of the Word of God, a little bit of truth, come to church once in a while, and then go do what we want to do the rest of the week. That don't cut it. It's a sign of the end times. And we can look in our church, we can look at our friends' lives, we can look at our neighbors' lives and see how selfish people have become. They love themselves. But Christ said we need to love others better than ourselves. Esteem others better than ourselves. Jesus Christ gave our life his life for us. We should do no less. No less. We need to give our lives to Him wholly and completely. And it's such a shame because so many people don't even realize 
how far they are from the Lord. I didn't realize it. For years in the church, studying in Bible college, leading worship, and yet selfishness and pride, arrogance in my heart. And God came down and revealed it to me and continues to reveal it to me and lift it from me and deliver me from it. And that's the way it should be every day of our lives. We need to keep growing in the Lord. When I first got saved, I was so excited about Jesus. I wanted to go to church every day of the week. You couldn't, if the door was open in church, I would go. And if there was another church, I would go there. And if there was another church, I would go there. Because I wanted to be in the presence of God. I wanted to worship God and thank Him for what He did in my life. But then all the other people in church taught me that you're not supposed to be so excited. They taught me that you're just supposed to be humdrum and let sin in your life and just sit there and not worship God with all of your strength. Just sit there through a sermon, be entertained, and then go home and do what you want to do. And that's what I learned in the church, in our churches. Churches that we think are spiritual. That's what I learned. of that. No more sin. No more pride. No more living for ourselves, but living for God wholly and completely all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything that we have. Everything. We should be excited about what Jesus did. We should be excited about the freedom that He gave us. And that doesn't necessarily mean we're all going to jump around and hoot and holler. But we do need to go in with all of our strength, all of our mind, all of our heart, everything that we have. The Bible says that they're lovers of men, money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient. And how much of that do we see in the church? Boasting, proud, arrogant, disobedient. Oh, I don't have to listen to the pastor. I can hear from God just as much as he can. Why do they do it that way? I wouldn't do it that way. I would do it a different way. Some of you may have even experienced tonight. You think, well, yeah, he's preaching it okay, but I would do it a lot better if I was up there preaching it. Arrogant, proud, boastful, abusive and disobedient to parents. Kids, you need to be obedient to your parents. That's you too, Leela. You know got to be obedient to your parents. Ungrateful. Unholy. You know, that's one of the biggest problems that people have in the church today. Ungrateful and selfish. I mean, God's done so much for us. And we can still come in church and complain about whether the heat's on or the air conditioner on or what the color of the carpet is or whatever we complain about. Pastors preach too long or too short. The song service was too fast or too slow. Why are you using a projection screen? Just complain. Ungrateful for what God's done. Ungrateful that you have a place that you can come into and worship God. We don't have to worry about the police beating down the door, coming in and dragging us to jail. Of course, maybe we should have some of that in the country and it would weed out the church a little bit. Might need that. God may do that before it's all done. Unforgiving unforgiving and slanderous there's no one here tonight 
because I know everyone here tonight claims to be a Christian. There's no one here tonight that should have unforgiveness in your heart for anyone. I don't care what they did to you. Look at what you did to Christ. You put him on the cross. You caused him to be whipped and beaten. Thorns beaten to his skull. It's because of you. But he died. There's no reason that we should have any unforgiveness in our hearts toward anyone, no matter what they've done. Jesus told the story of the man that was forgiven a large debt. And what did he do? Immediately he went to someone else that had a small debt and put him in jail and said, you'll pay every penny. No, we need to forgive. The Bible even says, if you have ought against your brother, leave your gifts at the altar and go make peace with him first before you come with the gifts because God's not going to accept them. And we need to not have unforgiveness in our hearts, in our lives. It says here, slanderous and without self-control. You know, there's a lot of times that what is supposed to be a prayer meeting or a prayer chain or a prayer group becomes a gossip group. They slander the pastor, slander the leadership, slander other people in the church, talk about what they're doing wrong, talk about what they're not doing right, talk about how you would do it better. It's not right. It shouldn't be in our churches. Not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And how many of us would rather have a comfortable pew to sit in than to be on wooden slats where the power of God is. I want to be in a place where there's the power of God. I don't want to just please myself. I don't want to have pleasure in my life. And you know, sometimes when God's convicting our hearts, that may not be all that pleasurable. When He reveals sins in our lives that we've had for years, and we're in, we're in positions of leadership, or positions of honor, and God says, look at this sin in your life. And He lays it out before us. That's not all that pleasurable. But I say, God, do it to me. Search my heart. Show me any hidden sins. Show me what's holding me away from you, God. And if we would all do that, and let God show us, and then humble ourselves, and repent of it, and admit that we are wrong, and we are missing God, we would see revival in this place. We would see a change in this place. But so often and so many of us would rather hold on to our pleasures, our place of honor, the good feeling we get at church when someone comes and calls us brother this or sister that. They look up to us as a leader or a teacher or whatever it may be. We'd rather not humble ourselves before the Lord. You know, a year ago, pastor would have gave me an opportunity to preach I would have came up with pride and haughtiness in my heart and think yeah I can do this I can preach a good message yep yep God called me to ministry I got an anointing I can do this it's wrong it's wrong I have no reason to be prideful here I have nothing to glory in myself because all I've done all my life was serve myself do what I wanted to do seek pleasure in my life but now what I want to do is seek what pleases God. Do what pleases God. Love Him with all of my heart and my soul and my mind and my strength. Not worrying about whatever anyone else says. And some of you, 
need to do the same thing. Because it says they have the form of godliness, but denying its power. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And we've come and we have a form of godliness. We sing songs that talk about God. We pray to someone that we call God. We listen to sermons that are from the Bible that is supposed to be God's Word. But we never let the power of God come into our lives and change our hearts and change our minds and change us so that when we come into this place, we leave different than what we came in. We're a new person every time we walk out the door because we let the power of God change our lives. And that's what it means when he says, you have a form of godliness, but you deny the power. You talk about God. You believe in healings. You believe in miracles. You believe in tongues. You believe in interpretations of tongues. But you don't believe in the power of God to change you. You don't let the power of God in your life to change your heart, to change your mind, to change your life, to give you freedom, to give you the ability to worship Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to pray to Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to take what this Bible says and live it with all of your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And you're denying the power of God if you don't let Him change you. Every time you come into this place, leave different as you get more of His Word in you, more of His Spirit in you, more of His power in you. Love. And we don't even know so much that God could do if we would just let Him change us. If we would just let His power flow in us truly by humbling ourselves bowing before his throne and saying you are king your will be done I'm not going to live my life as my own any longer any longer and I struggled with how to close tonight I always give an altar call when I preach seems like I think every time I have but see, we know how to come up to the altar at the altar call, pray for a little bit, and go home the same. We know how to come up to the altar and have a form of godliness, but deny the power. And so I struggle with that. Should I even give an altar call tonight? And would that be feeding the form? And we think it would be okay just because we came forward, that's enough. But never surrender to Him. So we just need to search our hearts tonight and say, what are we going to do? Are we going to make every effort to enter into the kingdom? Are we going to worship God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are we going to pray with everything that's in us? Are we going to receive the messages that pastor preaches with everything that's in, it, in us? Receive it. Go out and let it change our lives. Live our lives with everything that is in us to serve God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? That's the question tonight. And Pastor, would you come up and close us in prayer? And I think tonight I'll just yield the service over to him as a pastor and let him decide how he wants to close tonight.
Feller and Eva. Let's bow our hearts. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the words that have been presented tonight. Lord, we pray that they would fall upon our hearts and our lives, and Lord, that you would receive all the glory, all the praise. We thank you for Dennis, your servant who has poured his heart out to us tonight. Lord, I pray that we would receive those things that you have for us. Lord, that we would allow you to have your perfect will and way. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Stand if you will. 333. Well, that's not it, girls. There's a river. I don't know where it's at. I thought it was on. There is a river. Um, What I want us to do is I want us to sing that chorus. There is a river. Flows from deep within. 344. And I would like for us, if we want to do what was preached tonight, and if we want to, we want to do it wholeheartedly to find a place to come to worship God and to praise God. There's a river that's there's a river that flows from deep within. There's a fountain that frees the soul from sin. Come to the water. There is a vast supply. There's a river that never shall run dry. We either serve God totally or we don't serve Him at all. We either love Him all the way or not at all. Let's sing that. Let's find a place to pray. There is a that flows from deep within there is a fountain that frees the soul from sin come to the water there is a vast supply there is a river that never shall run dry. There is a river that flows from deep within. There is a fountain that frees the soul from sin. Come to the water, there is a vast supply. There is a river that never There is a fountain 
that frees us all from sin. Come to the water, there is a vast supply. There is a river that never shall run dry.